We're in Mark chapter 12, and uh, I want to begin by asking you guys this question. And the question is, when you guys go to bed at night, and you're lying down in your bed, and you think about all that you have done, and all that you have accomplished, or maybe the way that you spent that day, the question is, what is the most important thing? When you think about maybe the end of the week, or the end of the month, or maybe the end of the year, and you start to reflect back, what would be the most important thing for you? Maybe you fast forward to the end of your life and you start to look back at the entirety of your life. The question for you is, what would be the most important thing? It's a tough question. It's a hard question to answer because no one just has one value or just one priority, right? And so it kind of makes you think. Today our passage in Mark chapter 12 begins by a scribe asking Jesus that very question. Jesus, what's the most important thing? A scribe, this is what you have to know about a scribe. Uh, other translations call, call this particular man a teacher of the law. A scribe was someone who would be this kind of half theologian and half lawyer, a teacher of the law. This is kind of like your modern day, if this person exists, it would be like your modern day, a Harvard Law graduate, and then, and then also just because they can, they get a doctorate degree in biblical studies, right? And so this person has incredible knowledge of not only the law, but... Um, but of scripture and, and theology. And the scribe would ask Jesus. The scribe would be this intimidating person because of the wealth of knowledge he has. But he would come to Jesus and he would ask this question, Jesus, what is the most important command? What is the most important thing? He wanted to know the one. What's the one? And this is a tough question to answer uh, for normal people. Because if you know anything about Judaism, and if you know anything about the Jewish people, you would know that the Jewish people had a a number of laws. They had actually 613 commandments in just the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. There were 248 commandments about what you ought to do, 365 commandments about what you should not do. Some were considered these lighter laws, and some were considered these, these weightier laws. But how do you choose the one? Out of 613, how do you know which one is the most important? And what you need to know is that this was actually an ongoing debate amongst rabbis and amongst scholars. They wanted to know which is the most important. In other words, this wasn't the first time someone asked the question. They asked other rabbis, what is the most important? How do you sum up the Torah? In fact, there's a fun story that I came across about a a Gentile man who wanted to convert to Judaism. And the way he thought he would go about it is he would go to the two most influential rabbis of his day and he would stand on one foot. In other words, you have, you have X amount of time to tell me what the entire law means while I'm standing on one foot. So he would go to the two most influential rabbis. One is by the name Rabbi Hillel and the other Rabbi Shammai. And standing on one foot, he would ask this question, how do you sum up the Torah? What is the most important? So first he would go to this, this rabbi, Shammai. And uh, the story goes that he, he went up to him and he told him, I'm going to stand on one foot and I would convert to Judaism if, if by the time I'm back on my two feet, if you can tell me what the whole Torah is about. And the story goes that this particular rabbi felt insulted and just kicked him out of the house, right? And then so he actually went to the second rabbi, which is Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel actually gave him an answer. And standing on one foot, this Gentile man asked the same question. How do you sum up the Torah? Rabbi Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. And then he said, that that is the whole Torah. 
The rest is just explanation. Go and study it. And I share this story to say that other rabbis, other teachers of Jesus' day have actually been asked this same question. But here's the reality. Everyone has different responses. Some choose not to even respond to it because they feel insulted. How do you sum up 613 laws? How do you choose the one? Everyone had a different response. This particular scribe, when he comes to Jesus, though he had ulterior motives, I would say that the one thing going for him is that this particular scribe is asking the right teacher. He's asking the right person. As one, one pastor said, that only the true lawgiver and only the, the one who's truly kept the law can give the right law answer. Jesus is the only one who actually has fulfilled the law and kept the law and has given the law and therefore can answer the question about the law. So he asked Jesus, what is the most important command? And this is how Jesus responds in verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important, and you got to tune in, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. See, what you need to know, though, about what Jesus just said is that Jesus is not pulling something new. He's, he's not saying it, actually, he's not even saying a new commandment. What you, what you need to know is that Jesus recited a very common commandment, a very common prayer. This was a Jewish prayer that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. The Jewish people call this the great Shema. The Hebrew word Shema means to listen or to hear. They were to listen, to hear, and to obey this uh, every single day. They were to repeat it every single day, even in the morning and in the evening. It was their, uh, it was their confession of faith, so to speak. Hear, O Israel, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Jewish people knew this by heart. I mean, it would be like in our day, if you, if you as parents teach your kids to pray, whether it's in the morning or do your bedtime prayers. It's, it's that same prayer that they would pray every single day. It's the kind of prayers that kids would pray every single night before they go to bed. My son, Benjamin, um, before he has a meal uh, three times a day, sometimes more, he eats. But uh, every time he eats, before his meal, he always prays the very same prayer every single time. And he prays for three specific things. He just says, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for my food. And thank you, God, for my future baby brother. And I want you to notice that my wife and I are not included in that prayer. It's okay. Pray for us. We're on the waiting list. But the point is that my son prays the same thing every single day. He repeats it every single day. That's on his mind every single day. That was what it was like for the Jewish people in regards to the very first thing Jesus says, in terms of loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. For the Jewish people, that was nothing new. That was common prayer for them. It was a confession of their faith. And when we study this, what Jesus is answering here, he's not trying to bring something new, but he's trying to remind us of the most important thing. If this was the most important to Jesus, what that would mean is that in, the, in that time, every person who would decide to follow Jesus, 
every person who would decide to drop their nets and follow after Jesus, that would mean that for those people whom they would call disciples, that would be then the most important thing for them. So this was not just for God and not just for Jesus, but for every follower of Jesus, then this would be the most important thing for them, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and with all our mind. And I think when we study this commandment, it's so easy to get lost and start to dissect and divide. Okay, then what does the heart mean and the soul? What does it mean to love with my mind? What does it mean to love with my strength? And I I think it's easy to get lost in dividing all these different parts. But when I read this passage, I think the emphasis is not on the heart or the soul or the mind or the strength. Because those words are only used one time. But there's a word that's used four times. I think that's the emphasis. And the word is all. I think the emphasis here that Jesus is saying is that when it comes to loving God, don't, com- don't, don't divide. But love God with all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The question is for us, is that true of us? Is loving God with all of my life, is that the most important thing for us? Or how do we even know? See, because we can say it is, but do our lives reflect it? How do we even know if that is the most important thing for us? Maybe one helpful thing to do is, if you have time, or or if you were just to think about right now, if you were to write down uh, the top five most important things in your life, what would those five things be? Just take a moment. Just think about it in your mind. If I were to write down five most important things in my life, what would they be? All right, my guess is that for most of us, somewhere on the list, not sure what rank it would be, but somewhere on the list, probably family, or at least I hope so, right? We care about our family. We love our family. We will do anything for our family. Our family is probably up there as one of the most, maybe if not the most important thing in our life. For some of us, it's our career, our work, our vocation. We give all of our lives. We give all of our energy. We make sacrifices to the end of building our career, building our vocation, building our, our resumes and our work is important. Maybe for some of us, it's our finances. You know, our financial security, maybe if we were to be honest, that's like high up there as one of the most important things in our life. Or maybe for us or for you, it's, it's health. Like the most important thing over my finances is my health. I, I want to be healthy. I want to live a long life. I want to um, be physically well and mentally and emotionally well. I want to be healthy. Maybe that's up there. But I, I would guess if you're a follower of Jesus, that somewhere on the list you probably put God, right? And I'm not trying to say what number that should be, but for some of you guys, not only did you put God on the top five, but you probably thought that I have to put God as my number one because that seems to be the right answer, doesn't it? That seems to be the Christian answer, doesn't it? To put Jesus, to put God on the number one spot of the top five most important things. We think that the right answer is to put Jesus on the top of the list, right? And while it seems that that's what God wants, I don't think that's what he's saying. Now just kind of stay with me here. I think to love God with all of our life 
is not to put God on top of a list, but rather at the center of your life. What I'm saying is I don't think God wants us to to divide our lives between our family and our work and our, 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 our finances and then our, you know, our faith. I don't think God wants us to divide those things. I don't think God wants to be the number one above all. Here's what I'm saying. I think God wants to be in all. See, I think when, when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, I don't think he's asking is God number one. I think what he's asking is, is God and everything else on the list? In other words, it's not about is Jesus at the top of the list. The question is, is he at the center of the list? Is he in my family? Is God at the center of my family? Is God at the center of my finances? Not above, but at the center. Is God at the center of all of my relationships? Is God at the center of my work and my career? Is God at the center of everything else that I live for and that I do? Is God at the center? I think God wants to be in all and not just at the top of a list. To love God with all makes us ask that question, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? If Jesus were to be at the center of everything else on the list, Jesus is not about rank. He wants to be at the center. Jesus did not give his life to be on, first on a list. He gave his life to be at the center of yours. So that your life and my life be about loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. In my study, I came across this, um, this story of Ronald Reagan, on the day that he was inaugurated as president of the United States, his mom, a godly woman, slipped him a note. And on that note, it said this, Son, don't forget the most important thing is to love God. Is to love God. Church, may that be us. That the most important thing would be to love God. Not to put God on a list and not to divide him between everything else but to make sure that God is at the center of everything else, the center of our lives, to love God. But Jesus goes on, and you notice that that passage is not done. Jesus is not done talking. He goes on, and his answer is not finished. He says in verse 31, and he says, the second, the second. So he's going he's gonna to throw a kind of a curveball here, and he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I know at times when we read that passage, we get so caught up in, then who is my neighbor? Is it literally the person that lives next to me? Is it the, the house and the houses next to me? Or, and then how many houses down till then they, be, they no longer become my neighbor? Is it three houses down? Because that fourth house, I don't know if I can love. Who is my neighbor? Is it the, the person that works right next to me in the office? Is it just the person that's physically next to me? Who is my neighbor? The answer, I think, to who is my neighbor is yes. I think the focus is on the wrong word. The focus is not on uh, who the neighbor is, but the focus is on loving your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. That's, that's the wow factor. That's what would make you stand back and marvel at what Jesus said. That you and I are called to have a radical love a different love, 
A love that loves our neighbor, loves our neighbor as our self. I've heard other pastors and uh, kind of take this and say, see, see, this is why we need to love ourselves. And, and we, we take this as if th- this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we need to have self-care. But I, I, don't, I don't look at this passage that way. I don't, think, I don't think the focus is on loving ourselves. I think when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, I think he's already assuming that we love ourselves. I think he's already assuming that we uh, take care of ourselves, that we love ourselves. I don't think the problem is that we love ourselves enough. I think the problem is that we love ourselves too much at the cost of not loving others. And I say that because I think those that would be listening to Jesus say these words, I don't think they walked away saying, Jesus, you're right. I need to go home and love myself. I think the, the, what marveled them is that Jesus calls them to love their neighbor as they love themselves. I think one of the things that we ought to realize and, um, and see about ourselves with this whole COVID-19 pandemic is that I think we need to realize that we, we love ourselves. I think that's plain and simple. I think, I think it shows us how much we love ourselves at the cost of other people, at the cost of our neighbor. We, we, we can see that left to ourselves, if we're left to our own selves, then we would not love our neighbor. That, that we actually need help in that area. I think what this pandemic has revealed to us is that we only care about ourselves. That instead of being selfless, we're self-preserving. You see this with the Costco's and the, the Targets and the, the Walmarts, and they're all out of supplies, and they're out of supplies. They're out of toilet paper and hand sanitizers, not because people are buying things to take care of their neighbor, but they're, they're hoarding it so that they can take care of themselves. So you stock up on six months of toilet paper because it's taking care of ourselves. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. When you heard these words that Jesus just spoke, it would make you stand back and say, wow, that's the kind of love I'm supposed to have? The way I take care of myself is the way I'm supposed to take care of my neighbor. I think what we have in our day, in our time right now, as a church, is an opportunity not just to speak the good news, but the church to be the good news. I think this is an opportunity for our church, for every church, for every person that's a follower of Jesus to say, that is important to me, to love God and to love my neighbor. And and what Jesus is is not saying, he's not saying don't take care of yourself. He's not saying just, just, you know, uh, don't love yourself. He's saying, but love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you are considering for yourself, have you considered for your neighbor? You know, I, I want to share the story just this past Thursday. Um, I think it was Wednesday night that the NBA had canceled their season. And so that's kind of like, all right, things are going south. And so on Thursday, our family, we went to Target here in the city. And we went to Target to, to stock up on things because we, we felt the, the panic a little bit. We, we felt like if we, maybe if we don't go now, then we're going to run out of supplies. And so we went to Target to get the essentials, right? Toilet paper, flaming hot Cheetos, and, and hand sanitizers. 
And we went and we, we started just gathering and stocking up the cart with all different kinds of things. We got toilet paper. We got the, the Flaming Hot Cheetos. And, uh, but they ran out of the hand sanitizers. And, and there, were, there were clearly signs everywhere uh, for all the supplies. It says, please do not take more than you need. And, and, I, and, I, and I thought, why do we have to have signs like that? The signs are not saying Please make sure to take one for yourself. The, the signs are clearly saying that you're only thinking about yourself. No, no one's saying, hey, hey, make sure you take care of yourself. Uh, it's good to take care of others, but make sure to take care of yourself. No one's saying that. Because left to ourselves, we only take care of ourselves. And what these signs are reminding us is that you have a neighbor that might be in need. So only take two, right? And and so we got our supplies, and we left Target with everything except hand sanitizers. They were all sold out. My wife and I and and, and Benjamin, we got in the elevator, and we were going down the elevator to the parking garage, and uh, in comes an elderly man, uh, probably close to 70 years of age, and he had no shopping cart, and clearly he he was leaving Target to go back to his car. And so we asked him, and he had kind of this discouraged look on his face. We asked him, you know, sir, are you not shopping? Are you not buying anything today? And, and with this kind of discouraged look on his face, he looked at us and he said, my wife sent me to buy one thing, hand sanitizers. He said, I've looked everywhere and they're all out. And that moment and for the rest of that day and even till now, even as I stand here, man, I wrestle with that. I, I, my heart broke for that man. And, and, and in many ways, I've repented of the ways in which I've only taken care of myself. And I, and I thought about, man, you know, with, with the pandemic going on and with panic and fear in the air, what is the role of the church? We, aren't we called to be salt and light? Are we only supposed to say the good news? Aren't we supposed to be the good news? And I thought to myself, like, Have I bought into the fear? Have I bought into the panic and only taking care of myself? What would it look like if I actually have faith? What if I actually have God's love that casts out fear? Have I looked to my neighbor? Have I looked to the most vulnerable? And my heart broke leaving that target. We had a car full of supplies. But my heart was broken. Because to Jesus, he said the most important commandment is not only just to love God with all your life, but it was to love your neighbor as yourself. I thought about with the COVID-19, who would be the most vulnerable? And what all the health, um, uh, what the health industry is saying is that, that the elderly are most at risk. They're the ones, if anyone needs more hand sanitizers, it would be the elderly. And, and, and so my heart broke, and I thought, what would it look like if we as a church understood what Jesus was saying? And we actually live in the city scattered. Maybe this is symbolic for us to see that church is not just a gathering, but the church is scattered throughout the world to, to say and speak the good news, but to also be the good news. 
just yesterday, I came across an article on, on the Gospel Coalition website, and the uh, title, the heading of the article was Neighbor Love in the Era of COVID-19. This person obviously knew that I was preaching this passage today. But she writes, most of us pocketing hand sanitizer and clearing shelves of bread won't need medical care for COVID-19. But in our panicked responses, we risk neglecting those who do. The question we should be asking ourselves is in which supplies to stockpile in preparation for an apocalypse, but rather how to support those at real risk for losing their lives to the swiftly moving disease. Remember to wash your hands. Remember to stay home when you're sick. And most of all, remember to do this not out of panic, but out of love for your neighbor, because Christ loved us first. And I just pray and I hope that as we are going through this timely passage, I mean, I couldn't have planned this better, considering what our, our current state in the world is at. I, I couldn't have chosen a better passage for us to look at and examine, to love our neighbor as ourself, to love God and to love neighbor. You know, when, when Jesus is responding to the scribe, what you need to know is that not only was that first part in the Old Testament, but to love your neighbor as yourself is actually from the Old Testament. It's actually found in Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus is quoting from Leviticus 19, the Old Testament, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. So what's striking about this, about this answer that Jesus gives is not how new this command was, but actually how old it was. He just recites two different parts of the Old Testament. He quotes two different Old Testament commandments. And so what Jesus was saying was nothing new. To love God and to love neighbor was something that all the rabbis taught. So the question for us is, then what makes Jesus unique? What makes Jesus unique is that there was never a teacher and never a rabbi that has ever taken these two commandments and put them together to actually make them one. What Jesus is saying is that these aren't two different things that we ought to consider at different times. He's saying this is what you ought to always look at together to love God and to love neighbor. This was the first time any teacher had taken these two commandments and put them side by side as if these two were actually one, as if two were actually one. What Jesus is saying is that if you love God, that will shape our love for neighbor. And if you, love, if, you, if you don't love your neighbor, how can we say that we love God? Jesus is taking two old things, but he brings it to one. And see, this is the most important thing. Jesus says, there is no other commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Now, I'm not like an English professor, but to me that grammatically seems a little off. He says, the, there is no other commandment singular greater than these plural. In other words, he's saying these two separate things are now joined together. And now loving God and loving neighbor are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. Love for God is first. It's primary because it's, the, it's that love that shapes our love for others. 
And we cannot love God if we don't love others. So in our love for God, we must also consider our love for neighbor. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what Jesus is saying here is that the most important thing is really this one thing. Love God with all your life and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your life and love your neighbor as yourself. We read on in Mark 12, verse 32, at the end of that passage, this is what it says, the scribe said to him, said to Jesus, you are right, teacher. Jesus is always right, but he says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. My last few minutes here, I want to present to you in verse 34, Jesus said to this particular scribe who just agreed with Jesus, he said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The question that I have for us for us to consider is, why does Jesus say that this man is not far from the kingdom? In other words, why does, this man, why does Jesus say this man is near the kingdom, but not in the kingdom? Why is he near the kingdom? Not in the kingdom. Here's why. Because this man, this scribe, had incredible insight, but he missed God's invitation. This scribe knew the word of God, but he did not know the God of the word. This scribe even agreed with Jesus, but he did not follow Jesus. He calls Jesus teacher but he does not call Jesus Lord. And so Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom, but he's not yet in the kingdom. And the difference between being near the kingdom and in the kingdom is how you receive Jesus. You could have all the knowledge of Scripture but without knowing God of the Scriptures. You, you and I will only be near the kingdom, but not in the kingdom. See, our ability to even love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our ability to love our neighbor as ourself actually depends on how well we've actually received God's love for us. We love God and we can love our neighbor because God first loves us. When you and I look at the greatest commandment, I want you to know that this is not a works-based teaching. It's not the great prerequisite to enter the kingdom of God. As if if you just do these things, if you just do this, you will enter the kingdom of God. The great commandment is not about how we enter the kingdom, but knowing if the kingdom has entered us. This is how we know the kingdom has entered us. It's not about how we get to Jesus, but rather evidence that Jesus has got to us. 
See, this is how we know that Jesus has touched us. This is how we know the kingdom has entered us if we can love God and love neighbor. We love because God first loved us. Church, we are the beloved of God. We are lavished with his love. We are filled with his spirit so that from him and through him, we can love him with all of our life and love neighbor as ourself. So my charge to you, friends, is this. Don't just live near the kingdom, but live a life in the kingdom. The difference is how you receive Jesus. Is Jesus just your Sunday teacher or is Jesus your everyday Lord? Your answer will not change how God loves you. Your answer will change how you love him. And your answer will change how you love your neighbor. Church, may you love God with all of your life. And may you love your neighbor as yourself. And what God has joined together, let's not separate. Would you pray with me?